This is the official Sasta podcast with me, Harry Stebbings, at H Stebbings, with two Bs on Snapchat, and Mr. Jason Lemkin on Twitter, at Jason LK. However, Jason and I do not just want to see you on social media. We'd love to see you in person at Sasta Annual 2018, the greatest SAS event on Earth, if I do say so myself. And Jason's been too kind. To appease my love of mojitos, Jason has offered Drinks with Harry as an event at Sasta, so all you have to do is enter the promo code Drinks with Harry, those three words, when you purchase your tickets, and you'll not only get un- Limited mojitos with me, but 10% off your ticket price. What more could you want? So again, that's drinks with Harry as a promo code when you buy your tickets. However, to the episode today, and I'm thrilled to welcome a veteran of the SaaS industry, Paul Albright. As I said, Paul is one of the Valley's most experienced SaaS execs with extensive operational and capital management experience, including three IPOs. Most recently, Paul was the founder and CEO at Captora, the marketing acceleration software solution that raised over $25 million in VC funding from the likes of NEA and Bain Capital Ventures. Prior to Captora, Paul was CRO, Chief Revenue Officer at Marketo, where he drove the overall revenue strategy across sales and marketing that delivered global revenue growth over 100% year over year, from $14 million to $58 million. In a similar position at Success Factors, he grew revenue to more than $200 million and over 80% year over year growth. Previously, Paul led worldwide marketing at NetApp and Informatica, which he joined pre-revenue through their successful IPO. And if that wasn't enough, he's also served as an entrepreneur in residence at Greylock. And I do want to give a huge hand to Dave Kellogg at Host Analytics for the intro to Paul's stay, without which this episode would not have been possible. But before we dive into the show today, you must check out Datadog. Datadog takes care of the complex task of managing metrics on the back end. Instead of figuring out how and where to store your data, you get to focus on actually using the data to make better decisions. With turnkey integrations, Datadog seamlessly aggregates metrics and events across the full DevOps stack, from automation tools to source control and bug tracking to databases and common server components. And that's why thousands of enterprises love and trust Datadog, from eBay to Samsung to HP. And you can find out more at datadoghq.com. That really is a must. And thanks to my friends at WePay, let me introduce you to another very cool player in SaaS, M Helpdesk, the mobile field service management platform that helps companies spend less time organizing their business and more time doing what they love. Around 20,000 companies in over 50 field service industries use M Helpdesk for everything their mobile workforces need to do, including scheduling, dispatching services, tracking, and of course, processing payments. The platform's been number one rated in its space for 10 years now on many different third-party review sites, and you can learn more at mhelpdesk.com. And to learn how you can grow your revenue with integrated payments, like mhelpdesk did, visit wepay.com forward slash sasta. Wepay's got this incredible cheat sheet on how to get started with platform payments. That's a must at wepay.com forward slash sasta. However, enough from me so I'm now thrilled to hand over to Paul Albright. Good. That's perfect. Okay, I think we're warmed up. Paul, it's absolutely fantastic to have you on the show. Big hand to Dave Kellogg, who recommended you and a big intro from him. So thank you so much for joining me today, Paul. Yeah, thank you, Harry. Great to be here. Not at all, but I'd love to kick off today with a little on you and how you made your way into the world of early stage SaaS to start with. Well, it began at Success Factors. So back in 2003, I was to call a CEO in residence over at Greylock. And there were three companies that were being incubated at Greylock at the time. Data Domain, Right Now, and Success Factors. And got introduced to Lars Dalgard when it was around 10 people. And we got a chance to map out what the business model would look like and was an advisor to Success Factors for about the first three years of his life and then joined full-time when it was 
$32 million in run rate in 2007. And to me, that was the first generation of SaaS companies back when Salesforce was getting uh, their land legs and becoming public. Uh, Success Factors went public in 2007. So that was my on-ramp to the SaaS world. Can I ask, what was the big learnings from that on-ramp with Success Factors and the many successful years that you spent there experiencing that hyper growth? Were there any key takeaways? Yeah, very many. So one was to keep the perspective of the tenuous beginnings of SaaS because the model was not yet optimized and that was clear. So for example, to get specific with it, if we looked at that vintage of company, whether it's Success Factors or Salesforce, what I think of as SaaS 1.0, a sales rep, a blended sales rep across enterprise mid-market inside sales for us was carrying a blended quota of somewhere around 780K per rep and the attainment rate that that rep had was around 35%. So not a terribly efficient model, but good enough that you could create growth. Mm-hmm. The other interesting interesting dimension to it was that ourselves at Success Factors as well as other companies were spending far less on marketing than sales. So we were spending about 30 cents on a sales dollar in marketing because marketing was more focused on product launches, brand and events um, than it was efficient online marketing. And I think that was one of the big learnings was to, at that time, number one was let's make sure we have a value-based selling model because we're disrupting existing behaviors for how people buy and use SaaS products versus perpetual license products. And then the second big thing was to make sure that we were efficient on onboarding reps as much as we could because that was going to move the needle in the numerator. The denominator focus was let's make sure we've got customer renewals above 90% by logo and over 100% dollar renewals. So there was a few key metrics and learnings from 1.0 that we could look at at the next generation of SaaS companies when I was over at Marketo, which took those metrics and added some new ones to a new level because I think the technology had matured quite a bit as well as the overall market. I'm so pleased I asked that question because I've got a couple of offshoots there. Uh, You said about kind of uh, sales reps and their spend. I'm intrigued. Do you agree with Dave Kellogg and his primary importance placed around CAC to LTV ratio as the metric for SaaS businesses? I do. And I think if you work backwards from that metric, there are a handful that will give you earlier indicators on how you're doing against those. So you you can look at it from the funnel standpoint and say there's new qualified leads per month divided by win rate. I mean, that's a, it's a very simple but also brutal metric to look at. Average deal size over time, your pipeline by ramped sales equivalent over time, the time it takes to ramp a rep, and is that getting better or worse over time? And then your customer renewal rate annualized and look at that by logo and by dollar. And if you look at those five, then those are tributaries right into the, the CAC to LTV or magic number. And those will move the needle if you just focus on those five. Super interested. You said there about new leads to win rate. What would be a successful conversion figure for you in terms of percentage, do you think? Well, I think the win rate, it'll vary a little bit between a high-velocity model and a more of an enterprise-type model. So I think the first question that any CEO or exec needs to ask themselves, am I more creating a new market or is my company more disrupting an existing market? And that'll give you a, a different set of metrics because if you're creating a new market, then you're, all your metrics are going to be tougher because people don't know what words to use and, and you have to educate. It's going to be much more of an education sales process mm-hmm. versus somebody else already educated, I'm going to go in and disrupt. The second key question is velocity or average deal size, how many deals per month per rep versus an enterprise model. So if I just take like Marketo as an example, when I got there and it was a velocity business all the way through and the average deal size was around 12K ARR and a rep was doing around three to four deals per month. And so we had a win rate, it varied, but 
percent was kind of the base, and then we wanted to get that to fifty to sixty percent win rate, uh, which is quite good. I think in most companies, if you're below twenty five percent, you got a problem, especially in a velocity model. You want to be plus or minus forty percent, and then continue to to try to get that to fifty percent or higher, mm-hmm. and understand what's causing you to not get there. You know, can I ask what, what were, were there any kind of big standouts to you in causing you to not get there? Well, a, a lot of it has to do with how you're onboarding your reps and how dogmatic you are about training and certifying them on messaging and your selling process. And once you do those parts, linking your sales process and your sales model and your onboarding model to marketing so that you've got from new lead or new contact all the way through closed business, completely optimized and everybody helping each other and playing on one team. So that messaging and onboarding was critical as well as territory planning. So we got to the point where an enterprise rep had a three-month ramp rate when we hired them. Mid-market was two-month ramp rate to 100% and an SMB was one month. And if you can achieve that, then your CAC to LTV ratio, assuming that your renewal rates are in the 90% range, is going to be pretty impressive. We wouldn't hire a sales rep until they had territory and pipeline. And that was the key learning between Marketo and success factors uh, 1.0 versus 2.0 generation was. If, you, if you're doing marketing efficiently in the SaaS world, then you should be able to create new pipeline and scale that in front of hiring salespeople. And therefore, the, the sales rep is coming into a warm territory. They're budding up to another rep. And in the SMB part or velocity part of the business, they should be able to close their first deal within the first 30 days of their hire date, at least have a shot at it, and then get them to 100% in the second month. And if you can achieve that kind of machinery, then you'll be in good shape to be able to predict and beat your numbers in the future. Before we discuss the machinery there, I do want to touch on the kind of integration of sales and marketing. Uh, again, Dave said on the show that marketing's role is to make sales easier. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I do. And a lot of that in today's world is leveraging content in the right way, because I think it's just it's a massively overused term, you know, what is content marketing. But if you're medieval about the metrics all the way through your funnel and you treat the different parts of marketing from product marketing, which I think of as how, how do I monetize the product and set it up in a way that marketing and sales can drive revenue faster. And then I go from product marketing over to corporate marketing, which is going to be positioning the company efficiently, causing the company to look bigger than it really is, then to demand gen. And there's four routes to growing the sales funnel, inbound, outbound, referral, and sales driven. And to me, that's what your demand generation part of marketing should be concentrating on. And that's where the rubber meets the road. And so one of the fun things I used to do is to ask a new marketing person when interviewing them, give them a softball, is marketing more of a revenue generation machine or a cost center? And aha, I know the answer to that. It's a revenue generation machine. Okay. Well, so is sales. So would you be willing to take a leveraged compensation plan like a sales rep? And I wanted to see how they responded to that. And it was interesting that we could set up demand gen to team up with sales in a way where they were taking a number and having a higher leverage part of their overall compensation plan based on the number of qualified leads that demand gen was creating for sales. And that handshake between sales and marketing needs to be measured weekly. And then you need to look at it by segment and by program. And once you're able to do that, you can create massive efficiency because then you know a dollar going into marketing will equal how much pipeline. And then the, the hot potato goes over to sales. What's their conversion rate you know, by segment all the way down to the sales rep? You mentioned the demand gen element there. And Jason's always advocating, Jason Lemkin, that is, always advocating for early demand gen hires. When do you think it's the right time to hire your first demand gen reps or VPs per se? Yeah, well, it's back to, if I make the assumption that it, that the company is disrupting an existing market with, mm-hmm. with, a, with new technology and software, then demand gen would be one of my first hires. I would hire a demand gen person. They'd wear a lot of hats 
that's obviously not just SEO or not just SEM, but they would be doing everything demand gen. They would be my first marketing hire. And so probably, it's probably a first 25 employee hire, but definitely the first marketing person in, I would say hire a data slash metrics driven demand gen type who could help to set up the systems, the process for demand gen and link that into the sales funnel. And, you know, so it's probably a director to VP level person at an early stage, because that's going to create that discipline in your company as well. For sure. We've also alluded to the machinery element behind the process. And again, the, the wonderful Dave Kellogg suggested to me that you view the sales machine really as a velocity engine. I'd love to hear what he means by this. He left it as a cliffhanger for me. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, so I, I look at it as there's multiple engines of growth that a company needs to create before they go public. And most SaaS companies wait too long to think about that because when you're a private company, obviously the first phase you need to achieve is product market fit. So once you achieve product market fit, then you very quickly need to go to creating these different growth engines. So think of that as inbound, outbound, referral, and sales-driven engines. That's from a marketing standpoint. I'll come back to this in a second. And then from a sales standpoint, I need to look at channels, direct sales, international, and verticals. And then I need to look at that across products. And I can very quickly discern, you know, where, where's my strength today? I have one inside SMB Salesforce, as an example. Well, that's great. But what's the fastest I can grow that sales function if CAC or CAC to LTV is my only constraint, not budget? And that's the question I asked when I got to Marketo that hadn't been worked on before. Most companies don't ask that question. But I think that's the most important question to ask early on. And once you figure that out, you'll probably see that whatever your first model is, is your biggest constraint to grow. So you got to figure out where do I go next? The next sales engine should be playing off the first one. So if my first sales engine is SMB inside sales, the second engine could be mid-market sales, North America. It could also be enterprise sales, North America. It could be a vertical, you know, or it could be that your current customers are pulling you into other geographic markets like the UK as an example for an American company. So start to map those engines of growth out as early as you can, but ensure that you're keeping the pincer on that CAC to LTV calculation and the core, those five metrics I mentioned earlier that will influence that so that you're managing each of those growth engines with the same efficiency that you did your first one. And by doing that, you're going to learn a ton about how to manage those engines efficiently as you look to the future for going IPO or acquisition, whatever whatever plays out. But that to me is, is the most critical component of the SaaS engine. Now, if I go back to SMB, the key there, so at, at Marketo, just to give you some statistics, we had blended inside sales rep at 1.2 million ARR quota and a 70% attainment rate of that quota. And at least in the 2011 SaaS genre, that was best in class. And I think companies today can do much better than that, but that was the end game for SMB. And then the idea was that we could hire a new rep in the SMB world and get them producing at 100% of quota or that 70% attainment rate by the second month. And therefore, I could predict because of a one-month ramp and how much pipeline marketing was creating and what the average deal size was, what the sales cycle was, how fast we could grow. And then that led right back into how quickly can we grow the company without screwing up Cactel TV. In terms of kind of managing those multiple different engines, how does the accountability look in terms of management structure and the individuals who are responsible for each different engine? Yeah, great question. So, uh, you know, it comes down to the profile of each of your leaders. So I had one executive for SMB. I had another one that was heading up the enterprise and mid-market sales teams and then uh, cut by geography as well. So as we grew, I would have another executive responsible for EMEA, uh, you know, Asia Pac, our partners. So we had uh, distribution partners.
partners as well in Latin America and some verticals. So I, I think the importance is that the way that you approach each of the markets from an operational reporting compensation standpoint needs to be consistent so that the numbers are relevant when you compare them across your different teams. But then obviously the need to evaluate the skill set because it, it could be tough if you're promoting from within, which I like to do, you may not have an SMB VP of sales that's also great at doing enterprise sales. It's rare to see that. And so you'll need to look at the people first. I'm a fan of consistency of the operational approach and metrics, but then look at the skill set of the people and keep it as flat as you can for as long as you can. Can I ask, if you do hire externally, I know you said that about hiring internally and the benefits of doing so. If you have to hire externally, how do you manage the internal discontent of, say, the individual who had himself primed for that role? Number one is they, they should have been a part of the process early on. And so the, the reason for doing that should have been clear to them months in advance of even starting a search. And I'd make them a part of the search. That It's clear to them that that's not their power alley and there's no time for on-the-job training when you're trying to grow a company quickly. So we're all in this together, going to bring somebody in that has a great amount of experience doing that. And they're going to be able to handle numbers and future growth requirements that that other person just couldn't take on and, and wouldn't feel like they could do it successfully. It wasn't a, a problem for us. We made a shift, for example, early on to add enterprise sales. And we went from one enterprise sales rep at Marketo to 19 in less than two years. And it was a very aggressive move, but it took nine months to change the website, make sure the comp plans were put in place appropriately. Different messaging, because in the enterprise world, you're selling to the executive much more, so it's a value-based sell, whereas SMB tends to be much more tactical feature and benefits type sell. And so it's just different profiles of people and experience for that, and also that can hire quickly. And I didn't have a person that could take that on and, and create an org that fast. And so it, it worked out with without a tremendous amount of pain. I speak to a lot of founders who start with the SMB market, and they always look to move upstream to enterprise. What advice would you have for someone who started at SMB and is now looking to make that scale? So number one, I, I like doing that better. So congratulations for that being the trajectory and success factors. We went enterprise down. That's much harder than going SMB up. At Marketo, we went SMB up to enterprise. So number one, give yourself, set the right type of expectation and timeline. It, it'll take nine to 12 months to efficiently move or create a true enterprise sales force. But you need to also break that down and be very methodic about it. So number one, think through all the pieces. So your website, your messaging, your pricing, your comp plans, everything needs to become realigned. So for example, at Marketo, I created a fork at the homepage where if somebody came to our website, it would go one direction if they chose that they were an SMB company or mid-market company, and it would go into a different website fork if they were an enterprise company. And the difference was the enterprise company fork on the website was a much higher positioning, value-based messaging targeted right at the CXO versus SMB. You'd quickly get the pricing as an example. On the enterprise side, there was no pricing. And we talked much more about services and how to make them successful using a product globally. So you need to think about the messaging all the way through to a, a different style of selling and comp plans that are annualized, obviously tracked weekly and monthly. But the core of the enterprise comp plan, in my experience, is quarterly to yearly, whereas in the SMB world, you probably have them wired to be weekly to monthly. And you can't be successful applying the same comp plans or the same cadence to an enterprise rep. It's unrealistic to apply that to a sales cycle that's going to take at least six months for true global companies. Very unfairly, you left me dangling there on talking about why it's easier to go up in terms of from SMB to enterprise and enterprise to SMB. Why was it, do you think, easier to go up than it is down stack? Well, I think because when you are focusing on enterprise, you're worried less about UX, as an example. So my, my user experience, velocity of getting the customer live, time to ROI, 
ROI, you know, those types of things are less critical because you're throwing a lot more resource at it. If you've figured out how to bundle your products and how to create a great user experience and fast onboarding and quick time to ROI, it's much easier to uncouple components of that and still create a great experience for an enterprise company. The difference is you need to have international languages, you know, you need to have it more configurable, but those types of things are much more server side than customer side. Whereas if you're trying to go enterprise down, the changes you're trying to make are customer side. It's really tough on your culture and engineering and QA and services and so forth to act differently and to create a great and different and simple user experiences is a lot harder than going the other direction, in, in, in my opinion. And before we move into the quick fire, I do just want to deep dive on one element of the process. Uh, and it's actually a suggestion from Dave. He'd love to know about the process kind of transitioning through the sales process. And so how long is your suggestions and your thesis on going from lead to MQL to SAL to then opportunity and deal? What's your take on this and an efficient process here? Let's just use a specific example. If your average deal size is anywhere between 5K and say 20K ARR, then I think you need a, a complete sales process from MQL to book deal that's less than 45 days, preferably less than 30 days. And if it's mid-market, then it should be somewhere in the 30 to 60 day range. You could be handling 60 to 90 day sales cycles if your price is high enough, which should be around 100 to 150K US dollars ARR. And then enterprise is going to be four months to forever. But then your quota should be higher too. So I think enterprise, your rep should be carrying 1.5 million ARR or greater to support the extra resources and the extra time lag. But back to the funnel metric, you should be able to track marketing new qualified leads that are created for SMB in that month. If it's in the first week or two of the month, then you should see at least a quarter of those leads closing in the same month. So tracking which keywords, which channels, Google AdWords versus SEO versus events, email, et cetera, which are generating the most leads, what words are working with each persona, and then track the conversion rate from inbound lead to qualified lead, which I've seen conversion rates all over the map on those, but I would try to target a 20% plus or minus on unqualified to qualified. And then from MQL to late stage, whatever you call that in your funnel, then that's sales forecasted to close. That should be a higher percentage. That should be anywhere from a third to 40%. And a velocity model should be a week or two again. And then from there to close should be one to two calls. And close rate should be 40 to 60% in an SMB model. If any of those steps are putting up bad numbers, then you've got a messaging issue or somebody's taking too long with that stage. Something's going on that you just got to investigate. And I've seen it before, but the beauty of it is if you're tracking your metrics, and it should be obviously daily to weekly, and you're seeing enough detail that you can trust in those, then you'll see issues on Monday and be able to fix them by Wednesday. And that was one of the heartening things that I saw at Marketo was for any of our sales and marketing engines, we could see a problem at a every Friday at 7 a.m. forecast call, and we go through all the numbers by division, by geo, marketing and sales. And if we saw a problem, which we did, I remember one week, by Tuesday the next week, we figured out why, made adjustments and fixed it. And it feels good when you've got that level of confidence in how you're looking at your operations. Can I ask, from your vast experience, is there a particular segment of this process where it clogs up, so to speak, or there's blockages? There's an old adage, accidents happen at intersections. And the biggest intersection in the funnel is between sales and marketing. And so the clog that I've seen is in those handoff areas. So if you have SDRs or BDRs that are qualifying leads, how are they defined as an output? How do sales reps accept those leads? Or if marketing is qualifying it through some automation process, how is the salesperson accepting it? That handoff between 
between unqualified to qualified lead is where you really need to go deep. Because, for example, I was debating with somebody, senior SDRs were on a quota of 30 sales accepted leads per month per SDR. And somebody, when I was presenting in the audience, said, yeah, well, I've got my SDRs at 90 per month. I'm like, well, that's, that's great. But let me ask you a question. What is the average close time from for each of those 90? And they said six to nine months. I'm like, well, mine was less than 30 days. So I'd rather have 30 that close 30 days than 90 that take forever to close. So you need to watch the quality of what's coming out of marketing or, or the SDRs into the sales pipeline. And that's, to me, the single place to really sweat the detail. And then obviously that's going to lead to time to close and close rates for the salespeople. But that's typically a lot more transparent and there's a lot more experience in that area. And then truly a final question before the quick fire. Sorry, you keep giving me such good leads. What's critical to a successful handoff between marketing and sales? That teamwork, making sure that the comp plans are, are clear about what is the role that each of those groups play and that sales has input into the SDR process and into the marketing process. Marketing SDRs likewise have inputs into the other folks' process. And then be overt about the measurements, who what's successful, who's successful, who's not, and understanding why. And that should be in the forecast meeting weekly, sharing that information, being able to see it online. We used Salesforce and Marketo so people could look in and see this information themselves. And then that just created a level of confidence and teamwork across the SDRs, marketing, and the AEs that was super heartening. And that is the biggest learning is that level of transparency, the level of confidence in pulling everybody together so they, they feel ownership and they're part of the funnel. So demand gen owns unqualified lead to qualified lead. The SDRs own it from lead to sales accepted lead or sal. And then the AE owns it to close. So everybody's got to play their role and their comp plan should be leveraged in a way that makes sense to, for everybody, including the company then to beat their number. And it's just math. It's not, nothing hard about that. It's just sweat those details and share it. Absolutely. One of the many reasons I love SaaS. But talk to me. I want to do the 60 second SASTA. So a quick fire round. I say a short statement and you give me your immediate thoughts. How does that sound? That sounds great. So how do you think about picking investors to work with? Dave says you're very talented at it. Trust. Pick investors with a track record that are humble and that see themselves as supporting the management team and the company long term. Is customization always wrong? I think customization is required in the enterprise world along with services, but make sure you always keep services as a component of your revenue as a SaaS company less than 20%. Sales rep productivity, what's good to you? 70% quota attainment uh, will create a sales team that's fearless, feeling successful and energized. Discounting, what's your take on it? If you've built early into your company, no discounting, then congratulations, great job. If you haven't built that in early in the company, you probably won't be able to. So minimize it as much as you can to set thresholds for approvals for that and make sure your contracts have an automatic price increase annually of at least 7%. Expansions or logo, what's your take? Both. Logo renewals at 90% or greater and dollar expansion on renewal of over 100% and then uh, create a customer sales upselling team as early in your company as you can. And that'll force you to think through product monetization and what's the core land product and then how are you building and leveraging the other pieces of your IP in order to drive continuous dollars and upsells. And then final one, what do you know now with the vast experience that you've had that you wish you'd known at the beginning? I think back to the earlier point, start an SMB and go enterprise versus go enterprise and try to move down to SMB. Paul, it's been such a pleasure. As I said, I knew it'd be a great one from your suggestions and Dave provided so much. So thank you so much for joining me today, Paul. It's been so much fun. Likewise, Harry. Thanks for having me.
As you can tell, I had so much fun with Paul on the show there, and I'd like to say a big thank you to him for giving up the time today to come on the show. You can follow him on Twitter at Paul Albright. Likewise, a big hand to David Kellogg for the introduction to Paul today, without which this episode would not have been possible. And to see incredible speakers like Dave and Paul in person, then you can at Sasta Annual 2018. Jason and I would love to see you there. And when you use the promo code Drinks with Harry, those three words, not only do you get 10% off the ticket price, but free mojitos with me. It would be fantastic to see you there. But before we leave you today, Datadog takes care of the complex task of managing metrics on the back end. Instead of figuring out how and where to store your data, you get to focus on actually using the data to make better decisions. With turnkey integrations, Datadog seamlessly aggregates metrics and events across the full DevOps stack, from automation tools to source control and bug tracking to databases and common server components. And that's why thousands of enterprises love and trust Datadog, from eBay to Samsung to HP. And you can find out more at datadoghq.com. That really is a must. And thanks to my friends at WePay, let me introduce you to another very cool player in SaaS, M Helpdesk, the mobile field service management platform that helps companies spend less time organizing their business and more time doing what they love. Around 20,000 companies in over 50 service field industries use M Helpdesk for everything their mobile workforces need to do, including scheduling and dispatching service, tracking equipment, and of course, processing payments. The platform's been number one rated in its space for 10 years now on multiple different third-party review sites, and you can learn more at mhelpdesk.com. And to learn how you can grow your revenue with integrated payments, like mhelpdesk did, visit wepay.com forward slash sasta. WePay's got this incredible cheat sheet on how to get started with platform payments. That really is a must at wepay.com forward slash sasta. As always, we so appreciate your support. Paul was incredible to have on the show this week, and we look very forward to bringing you another fantastic episode next week.